Welcome to Disinformation Wars, a project of the American Foreign Policy Council. I'm AFPC Senior Vice President Elon Berman. Disinformation Wars is a series of conversations with officials, experts, and practitioners designed to take you behind the scenes of the struggle for hearts and minds of global publics that's now taking place around the world. It's a contest being waged by Russia, China, Iran, and other actors, and the stakes could not be any higher. On October 7th, Palestinian terrorist group Hamas carried out a brazen, large-scale attack on towns and villages in the south of Israel. The results were horrifying. Hamas's campaign of terror left more than 1,200 Israelis dead in the single bloodiest day in Israel's history since its founding in 1948. The event marked the largest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust some eight decades earlier. And in response, Israel has launched a large-scale military offensive in the Gaza Strip, an offensive that's intended to remove the terror group from power entirely, as well as to liberate the more than 100 hostages that are still languishing in Hamas captivity. More than three months on, that campaign is still ongoing, and its effects are reverberating globally. One of the most pronounced and pernicious has been a massive explosion of online anti-Semitism. Social media has become awash with coverage of the conflict that's skewed heavily in an anti-Israel direction. Relatedly, anti-Semitic tropes, false narratives, and hate that's directed both towards Israel and towards Jews generally has proliferated. This tsunami has real-world effects. Here in the United States, the Anti-Defamation League has reported a 337% rise in anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th. Other countries have charted similar surges. Understanding the drivers and dynamics of this new trend is key to stopping it. And that's the objective of CyberWell, an international technology-based nonprofit that's working to combat the spread of anti-Semitism on social media. The organization leverages AI, artificial intelligence, to actively monitor and report hostile content to social media platforms. And it curates the first ever open database of anti-Semitic social media messages. CyberWell's founder and director is Talor Cohen Montemayor. An Israeli lawyer, Talor has provided analysis and consulting services to the Institute for National Security Studies, to Israel's Ministry of Strategic Affairs, and to the country's Jewish agency. Prior to launching CyberWell, she worked in the web intelligence sector serving most recently as an executive at Argyle Consulting Group in Tel Aviv. I recently had a chance to sit down with Talor for a chat about her work, as well as how it fits into the larger wars of narratives now taking place over what's happening in the Middle East. Talor, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with Cyberwell itself. Talk a little bit about your vision for the organization, how you guys are accomplishing your objectives, and where you see the organization making the biggest impact. So CyberWell is the, the world's first real-time database of online anti-Semitism. We are a nonpartisan ethical tech nonprofit, and we use AI and open source intelligence techniques to create a better real-time picture of the state of online anti-Semitism with the goal of spurring greater enforcement and content policies um, and improving content policies across the online landscape. We started out by launching the first ever open database in 2022 that's available at app.cyberwell.org. But what's unique about Cyberwell is that we're wedding these expertise of anti-Semitism and also digital policy compliance. So that means that our analysis, when we send reports to social media platforms, we're not only focused on showing them where anti-Semitism is on their platforms, but actually flagging for them where their policies are failing to be enforced. We give them data points that help their teams actually action this content at scale. So that really means that we're kind of like an online anti-Semitism compliance officer for social media platforms and for big tech. 
this has led for us to become a trusted partner for Facebook, for Instagram, Threads, so all the meta uh, platforms, and also TikTok. Uh, it's a special status that's reserved for nonprofits that are working with social media platforms. And where I see us going is actually recreating this digital policy compliance process with trust and safety at AI companies and other big tech companies. I want to come back to the role of big tech and, and sort of how you see their roles evolving uh, in a few minutes. But first, I want to ask you about Cyberwell's new report. You guys have a new report out coinciding with International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which falls this year on January 27th. What are the major findings of the study? What are the conclusions that you guys made? What did you guys find? Okay, so this report really, CyberWorld's latest report is unpacking the latest iteration of online anti-Semitism, which is specifically the campaign or the discourse that's denying the events of October 7th, denying that they ever happened. So while the Holocaust and the massacre that was committed by Hamas on October 7th are very distinct historic events, and I do not advise conflating the two events, one of the things that we see from an anti-Semitism perspective that's a connector is the fact that anti-Semites are now using denial and distortion as a way to perpetuate Jew hatred and actually justify the killing of Jews. So what does this report go ahead and do? We go in and unpack what are the major sub-narratives, the accounts that are promoting this denial and distortion online. And we're also really taking a look at the way that social media platforms are failing to enforce their policies when it's connected to October 7th denial. Most social media platforms actually have a policy on something called violent event denial that's rooted in Holocaust denial. It's also rooted in the events of Sandy Hook. If you remember, YouTube deplatforms Alex Jones for saying that Sandy Hook was a hoax to take away Second Amendment rights. So most platforms have a policy on this issue, but the report really reveals that the enforcement when it comes to October 7th denial is abysmal. A rate of removal, uh, once that content was reported, only 6% across the board and only 2% on X. So we're unpacking not only the narratives themselves, but the way that social media platforms are failing to respond to this new form of anti-Semitism. That's really important work. And as you said at the outset, it's enabled by AI, by artificial intelligence. And so I, I wanted to drill down on that for a second because Cyberwell uses AI to track anti-Semitism, but artificial intelligence is actually, in, in many cases, a double-edged sword. And you and I have talked about this before, but explain for the audience how it has the potential, how artificial intelligence has the potential to make the online anti-Semitism problem actually worse. Yes, as you said, AI presents solutions and it presents risks. So let's talk about some of the risks. So in September 23, ChatGPT released a statement on their X account saying that ChatGPT is no longer limited to information and events from before September 2021, meaning they added data. If the online climate is any kind of indication in terms of what data this ChatGPT or large language models are consuming when it comes to Jews in Israel, the situation is really bad. Cyberwell uh, tracked an 86% increase in online anti-Semitism after the October 7th events. So that means that there was an overall outpouring of more Jew hatred, certainly more anti-Israel and misinformation and disinformation. And we know that ChatGPT is actually getting a lot of its inf information from X's API. 
right, which has low rates of removal of anti-Semitism, and it had an 81% increase in anti-Semitism overall. So what does that mean? That means a couple of things. On the one hand, it means that chat GPT could be giving individual users anti-Semitic or misinformative and disinformative results. For example, ChatGPT recently insisted with me that the Antifada was a non-violent grassroots movement. Why? Because that's what the internet told ChatGPT the Antifada was, right? But when we think about really major risks, I'm concerned about when these generative AI models start being relied on for high-level decision-making. When our governments start to incorporate large language models into economic policy decisions, into immigration policy decisions, and they've actually consumed largely anti-Semitic and largely anti-Israel data sets with very little breaks. So you could have a situation, and this is not something that would happen in the immediate, but once that integration fully happens with our government programs or university decision makers, doing things like recommending policy, like don't let the Jews into your country because they sow economic discord and instability. Like that might be based off of a bunch of conspiracy theories that ChatGPT was consuming with no restraint. So that when we talk about the kind of larger meta risks that incorporating these large language models without transparency about their trust and safety and without expertise about anti-Semitism is really concerning. When we talk about solutions, obviously for my, myself, Cyberwell is a startup nonprofit. Only in its third year, we've managed to vet about 5,000 pieces of anti-Semitic content a year since our launch. Well, I want to scale that up so that I can be prov providing more data and flagging more violations to social media. Clearly, uh, leveraging generative AI presents a solution in that way. But I really do think it's it's like the wild, wild west. We're going to see a lot of solutions and very nefarious iterations of the chat GPT world. Well, that's a hugely important point. And I think it's something that needs an awful lot more attention, certainly by our national leaders, our decision makers, uh, in terms of increasing reliance on artificial intelligence and, and what's baked into the assumptions, right? The assumption is that AI is trusted all the time, but AI, like a viewer or a reader, is seeing only what's out there, what's available. And so anyway, to be continued, there's another issue here too, which I wanted to ask you about, uh, which is the role of hostile states. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post recently wrote a column arguing that China has been weaponizing anti-Semitism, online anti-Semitism, as a way of advancing its geopolitical objectives. And in the piece, he noted that anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories have proliferated on Chinese social media channels and platforms like Weibo, and that this trend line is actively being encouraged and curated by the Chinese Communist Party. All of that, I think, raises a really important question. How much of what we're seeing, what you guys at Cyberwell are seeing, is organic and how much of it is actually manipulated? And can, can we actually tell? It's a fantastic question. And when it comes to China, it's almost like we're seeing uh, them borrowing uh, a play out of the Soviet Union playbook, which very much popularized anti-Semitism and was even responsible for translating protocols of the elders of Zion and sending that over to the Middle East as an anti-Western, anti-capitalist position. So it seems like there is some history repeating itself here when it comes to that. And there are entire methodologies uh, to your question about how do we identify inauthentic behavior. There are entire methodologies built around revealing bot farms and inauthentic and inorganic behavior 
But I want to talk for a second about what Cyberwell saw in our latest report. So our latest report that's unpacking the October 7th denial campaign that's currently underway in these social media platforms was based off of a very small initial data set of only three 113 posts across the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X, that amassed 26 million views. So that in and of itself raises some questions because one of the major indicators of inauthentic behavior is outweighed or disproportionate influence, right? And the report really goes into some of these like stars that were uh, tweeting out misinformation and disinformation with only a few thousand followers and rece receiving 3 million views. So it's disproportionate influence. And I think that the data set really does indicate that there is an element of inauthentic and inorganic activity when it comes to spreading misinformation and disinformation, certainly about Israel and definitely about anti-Semitism as well. But just because it's inorganic doesn't mean it's not real. So when a piece of content receives a lot of traction on a social media platform, the algorithm is still programmed to suggest that content to the viewers. So even though a research organization like Cyberwell can come and say and look at the, the comment section and the fact that, you know, these accounts never posted before, they don't have a lot of friends, or how does this person have such a small following but got 3 million views, it doesn't make sense. The viewer, the regular viewer, is still seeing this presented to them in their feed as popular thought. So it does change the optics, and it certainly changes the way that information about the current war in Israel, for example, is being disseminated to everyday users. So let, let me circle back to where you started and talk about the role of social media platforms and big tech companies. What role are they playing in curating the online space and managing discourse there? Sounds like there's an awful lot more that they could be doing. There's an awful lot more that they can be doing, and there's an awful lot more than we understand that they're already doing, okay? So what do I mean by that? In the beginning, beginning of social media, a little over a decade ago, there was a general position that they didn't want to be the arbiters of free speech, and they didn't really want to necessarily even have a trust and safety policy or community standards, which is really my, my area of practice and Cyberwall's area of compliance. But as things have developed with social media, and now our major platforms are over half of the worldwide internet activity, most 30-year-olds use social media as a news source, even though they absolutely shouldn't. Uh, teenagers are spending an average of 40 to 50 hours a week on some platforms and even reporting early onset signs of addiction to certain platforms, right? So lots of things, including the legislator or the regulator's role, even in the United States, have brought most social media platforms to a position of self-regulation with their community standards, not with a lot of transparency around the mechanisms around those things, uh, but they are self-regulating with their community standards and with best practices that are connected to trust and safety like de-amplification, meaning if an AI classifier will flag something as that's likely to violate community standards, then it may receive less exposure. This was Musk's big position when he was taking over X and he said, I'm going to allow freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. But Cyberwell is actually holding social media platforms to account for these policies and these best practices by really examining, are you enforcing your policies? Are you enforcing your best practices?
So if we take it back to the Cyberwell October 7th denial report, for example, we see clear instances of kind of nobody accounts uh, getting labeled and also being deamplified to only 100 views when they're saying things like rape never happened or babies were never killed in the October 7th massacres. But then when it comes to an account like Jackson Hinkle, who has 2.6 million viewers, that same piece of content that was labeled and deamplified on X just a day earlier is now getting 3 million views and 6 million views. So we, we're we really looking, Cyberwall is really looking at this issue of digital policy compliance and trust and safety best practices to give social media platforms the data points that they would need to actually be doing more. And I'll just say, maybe this is stating the obvious, maybe it isn't, but the fact of the matter is Jews are less than 2% of the U.S. population, 1% of the world population. It's not shocking to me that there is no anti-Semitism expertise baked into these trust and safety standards, but there should be. And that's exactly what we're trying to do by creating these transparent data sets and these high-level compliance alerts. Let me ask you a final question. And I, I want to focus on the other side of the coin, because we've been talking about social media output and, and the output of content providers and the output of outsized personalities and how they're distorting the debate. I want to ask about the Israeli government, because there's an old trope that says that Israel is bad at strategic communications. And I have to say that from what I've seen, the way the Israeli government has handled its messaging during the current conflict since October 7th is pretty much proof of concept. From your perspective, what can and should the Israeli government be doing to ameliorate the online anti-Semitism problem and recasting the debate? So in this current uh, round of war, I do believe that the Israeli government and certainly the Israeli military have tried to be more open and responsive and actually just give more information out to the public and make it readily available. There was a, a strong departure from typical Israeli policy during conflict about showing um, pictures of the dead, which is something that Israelis typically didn't do. And in this current conflict, we actually saw them take a, a very specific stance to make that information available to people. Unfortunately, misinformation and disinformation and AI, quote unquote, has become a kind of boogeyman that has made it difficult for some of this data to be digested at scale and to even be taken seriously. When you have accounts like Al Jazeera tweeting out that the picture of burnt and beheaded infants that were killed by Hamas is an AI-generated image that reaches millions of people and the damage done there is, is just massive. So I, I want to say that to their credit. I do think that we have seen some repositioning of Israeli strategic messaging, but I, I think that there is a larger discussion that needs to happen on what the Israeli government can be doing to actually be more effective in the fight against online anti-Semitism. So my personal and professional opinion is that it is really, really important to differentiate between anti-Semitism and anti-Israel criticism. And, I, and my personal and professional opinion, and I don't want to name and shame any government agencies, there, <laughs> there is uh, some disingenuous conflation of those two things. I think there's so much to be done when it comes to better enforcement of online anti-Semitism, that if you're a government agency and you're sitting at a high level meeting with diplomats and saying hashtag free Palestine is an anti-Semitic hashtag, it's not. Uh, and you also can't do anything with that information. You know, I don't think that they're doing as good a job as they can be about differentiating between anti-Semitism and anti-Israel criticism. 
and they should be. I think the key to effective Israeli government leadership when it comes to online anti-Semitism is rooted in two things. One is clear legislation and guidance for the social media platforms. We see now in the EU the rollout of the Digital Services Act uh, that has very clear guidelines, expectations of the social media platforms, and also fines that are connected to those regulations. That's something social media platforms need. I would encourage the United States government and Congress to kind of find their way out of the Section 230 sinkhole and do the same thing. And the other thing that I think that Israeli government can do to address online anti-Semitism is kind of offer startup grants or innovation grants to some of our better AI and cybersecurity companies to actually hack this problem. There's so much that can be done technologically to innovate our way out of the state of online anti-Semitism. And I think that would be a really great innovative leadership position that they could take. That's terrific stuff. Thank you for taking the time and thanks for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Elon. Thank you for tuning in to Disinformation Wars. To learn more about the American Foreign Policy Council and our work on public diplomacy, visit us online at www.afpc.org. And as always, we hope you'll join us again next time.